Welcome to Into Africa. My name is Mvemba Pezo Dizolele. I'm a senior fellow and the director of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. This is a podcast where we talk everything Africa, politics, economics, security, and culture. Welcome. Liberia was the first African republic to proclaim its independence and is Africa's first and oldest modern republic. Liberia holds a special place in the African psyche because as the name of the country suggests, it's really liberty. And its capital city is named Morovia, which is in memory of John Monroe, US president at the time of the creation of this republic in the 1800s. The republic was settled by former enslaved Africans who had come from the United States and were sent to settle that area. And it was also populated by people who were enslaved or stolen from the countries that the British Navy had intercepted in the high seas and directed them to be settled in the place that we know today as Liberia. Of course, Liberia was home to many other ethnic groups that lived there. The Republic was born under that arrangement and eventually was led by an elite class of primarily those who had come from the Americas, thinking um, in Liberia they called them the Congos. And uh, we see that Liberia, when you talk about the names in Liberia, you see a lot of British names or American names, quote-unquote. Liberia has come a long way from the days of strongmen to the coups of uh, Sergeant Doe and the war that followed, and eventually settling on the democratic path with the election of the first African president, Madame Ellen Johnson Sirleaf in 2005. She had served two terms and then was replaced through another election to a democratic process by George Weah, who was world-renowned as a soccer player. George Weah served one term and considered defeat last month on November 17th when the Liberians went to the polls for the second round for a runoff. Joining me to discuss the importance of an African president, in this case George Weah, stepping down freely and willingly after he lost the elections, is Charles Lawrence, a political analyst in Liberia, to dissect what happened and why we should care. Charles, welcome to Into Africa. Thank you very much. Uh, what a pleasure to join you on this conversation. It is certainly a really exciting time in Liberia based on what we are saying in terms of the outcome of the most recent elections. But if I step back, the foundation for, I think, what we are seeing was laid by Her Excellency, former President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, who, as you mentioned, she served two terms as president of Liberia and respected the constitutional term limit. And when she did that, Liberia, at least this generation of Liberia, witnessed something that has not been seen in Liberia for 70 years, for a democratically elected president to hand over to another democratically elected president. So that happened in 2018. 
when President Salif handed over to Judge Weir. That was very exciting. It did uh, kind of confirm that Liberia continuing on a democratic trajectory and political stability was important for a country that you said have seen a lot of tumult in the past. Now, where we are now is this new consolidation where in the end of elections, it was really fiercely contested. In, in October 10 elections, there were 20 candidates that were on, on the ballot. Liberia constitution do require that for a candidate to win outright, they should get more than 50% of the vote in the first round. Not of the uh, 20 candidates met that threshold and that required that the two candidates who were on the top of that listing who go into a runoff. This runoff occurred in November 14. I must say that um, the Liberians fit in the democratic process continuing because they turned out both in the first round in October 10 and the, the runoff showed a lot of enthusiasm and relatively very high turnout of the population. So that's where we, we uh, brought us to this particular situation. And there, there was a lot of anxiety and, and tension in the country at the time as the, the neck was reading out its results. Many people across the country were listening to the radio and the neck read out provisional results. When they reached up to 99.9% .9 of provisional results, it became very clear that Joseph Yuman Buaka had an unassailable lead. His, that is, the remaining votes could not have helped Judge Weir CDC to make it win. And it is on that night that the country woke up to the reality that President Judge Weir made a phone call to former Vice President Buakai and conceded defeat. This was a momentous, a momentous moment for Liberia in a way that it diffused a lot of tension. It was league acid defined, and I think, and it set the basis now for what we are now seeing as peaceful and orderly transition that is expected based on the constitutional requirement. A lot of information there, uh, Charles. Let's uh, dissect that a little bit, one piece at a time. Liberia had gone through a fierce and bloody war over a decade or so. President Johnson Sirleaf came in, set the country on a certain path. How did that foundation that the president, the former president set, lead us to this moment? I think the, the foundation she did set in terms of the governance structure and the government, inf I mean, they were all there to be tested and, and they faced the test during this time. So the government structures that are important for this is the, the National Elections Commission. They do have a, a very clear and strong mandate to, to oversee the elections. And of course, the legislature is in place to ensure that appropriate resources was given to the NEC on time. I mean, there, there, there are questions here about, you know, the timeliness of some of the resources to the NEC. But yes, the independence of the NEC and the state yet the open space for pluralistic democracy uh, remain in the place that political parties can form and get registered. The independent media rema uh, remain in place. The government institutions to safeguard the democracy, including civil society, remain vibrant. And I think those foundations, we can we can take it back to these different steps that were taken uh, during the Ellen Johnson and the fact that, of course, she respected the constitution and, and stepped down when the constitutional limit was there also begin to set up, I think, to the population that this norm about presidential succession is possible. And in her case, in the case of uh, the former president, uh, Johnson Sirleaf, she also stays in the country, right? She lives in Liberia. She's not gone outside. Is that correct? No, 
she has not gone outside. She lives in Liberia. She is involved in the in the local life. She runs her foundation. She is stay yet active in promoting things that are important for her. And we can talk about some of those later on. Yeah, and what does that say to uh, to the rest of Liberia that a former president lives in the country? You know, this is not always a given across the continent. You know, many presidents feel threatened and then they leave. They may be taken to justice. In her case, she chose to stay. Yes, well, it, it, it does. It shows that, I think Liberia is showing that, yes, former presidents, they, they can stay have a role outside the presidency. Although we can say that President Salif is not as active and, and, and has rightfully not have been involved in any active politics. But yes, as a private citizen, being present, I think somehow that it, it let people know that if you realize what has happened with few of Liberia's former presidents, then it's, it's, this is a new page of her being residing in Liberia. It's, it's a symbol, symbolic of this new page that persons can live power and they can live peacefully in the population. In the case of Liberia, you also had Truth and uh, Reconciliation Commission, you had the tribunal. I suppose those played uh, a role to help create the environment that you just described. Yes, so there we can say we have a mixed results in that area. We have the Truth and Reconciliation process and more or less we can say that process is is unfinished in some aspects of the recommendations that are still yet need to be addressed and part of that of course is the, the aspects that deal with criminal accountability for war crimes and these were recommendations that the TRC had made with certain individuals so that is still yet an outstanding issue and I would say that it will be a question that the previous administration had on their table dealt with it the way they felt they had to and it will remain a question for the income administration as well in terms of what path they will take in terms of addressing wartime accountability. The unfinished side of the Truth and Reconciliation's work, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's work, obviously have not uh, impacted negatively the democratization of the country, which is a good thing. Now, will that Actually, is that correct to say it's not, it's not impacted negatively, so the country is still moving on democratic path? It's difficult to engage, but I, I think it does have some kind of impact in the democratic process. Former warlords still have possibility to participate in the democratic processes. We have seen some of them elected in the legislature and exercising influence in the leg- legislature. The, the most recent elections got another war law from the southern part of the country elected into the legislature. I think what it does say, therefore, is that Liberia has not sheeted completely from the war legacy, and it is still yet a question because one of what the TRC had recommended was lustration. But that, of course, was scrapped by the, the constitutional court that felt that uh, without due process, lustration should not be applied. What I meant was certain individuals should have not been allowed to, con- uh, to compete for for, for public office. But um, with uh, financial resources and things like that uh, as, as, as the main factor, of course, then we are seeing former warlords engage in the current uh, democratic space. So in a way, it dampened this very overall positive uh, trend that uh, we are describing. Was that the, the, is that the cost of peace? Is that the price that Liberians had to pay for peace? Or one of the costs? Some argue that some argue that that uh, Liberia have to make some kind of balance uh, around the economic cost. But yeah, it's more about uh, 
shedding from the past and setting up new norms based on accountability and the two sometimes collide and 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 and, and that's where it it, it it touches a little bit on the democratic principles and foundations let's go back to the transition itself so joseph boakai had been vice president to president johnson sirleaf had served with her during her two terms in 2017 he lost George Weah was an up-and-coming politician, big name, known around the world. What was the strength that he brought at the time and how that changed leading into the election in October? The, the dynamics of the election in in October, is, is uh, this, this October elections, is one is incumbency versus the right, the rest uh, of, of the 20 that were in the race. And therefore, I mean, when we were following this, we knew that definitely it was a two or three horse race among contenders that had possibilities for winning. Definitely judge we are CDC, Joseph Buarca, Unity Party, more or less Alice Cummings of the ANC, Alternative National Congress uh, Party. But what I think when the first round results came, it became very clear that it was a two two house race because most most votes went to the top two candidates. I think what I will say is it is in the second round of the of the elections, the different configurations that happened played to the advantage, in, in my view, to uh, Joseph Buaka Unity Party. So some of the candidates uh, that have come fourth, fifth on the list allow their support to Joseph Buaka. And I think that that could have there's also other other things at play in terms of the the regional dynamics or what you call the geopolitics of things in, in Liberia. Uh, Josh, we had a, a big and heavy support in the Li- in Liberia's southeastern region. He got in most of those counties more than 80% of the votes. Whereas uh, Buarka, who hails from the north in, in Lofa, picked a vast presidential candidate from Nimba, in, in, in the north, northeast uh, direction. And Nimba had a very substantial vote category and you could, we could find this com- this alliance uh, in Nimba was important in tipping the, 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 the results in, in, in Black as well. What what was, um, I think, surprising was Monserrado, which had the biggest number of, of the votes in uh, Morovia. You would think that uh, one party would have had a significant advantage, but Monserrado seems to have been Evenly split amongst the two. Unity Party Buarca did win most rather, but it was not for a significant margin that could have been the results for his lead. So that that turned the the, the situation back to Nimba, where of course with Buarca's vice president hailing from from Nimba, he had correspondingly significant half percentage of the vote in those regions. If I understand you correctly. We, uh, in this case, Liberians had a couple dynamics playing. Regional, is the regional dynamics due to population density that tilted in favor of Boakai or something else? And then two, you also talk about coalition building. So after the first round on October 10th, a lot of the candidate threw their weight behind uh, Boakai. Uh, can you talk a little bit about those dynamics and what, uh, what do they mean going forward? And some of these dynamics uh, are linked to your previous question about the legacy of the of the of the war situation. I can mention this, and you may find that said as well that Prince Johnson, who hails from Nimba County, former warlord as well, had supported George Weah CDC in 2017 when he defeated Buaka. 
and 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 Prince Johnson therefore seems to be um, since the end of the war in all the, the the elections that have followed, where he has put his vote uh, has been where the win has has happened. So that's something really that is that is important to note. Uh, he seems to be very revealed in Nimba County and and and. Um, Highly respected, and his voice have wit, and the side he he does take uh, tend to to sway the vote in that area. But I can also say, you're right about the coalition building. Uh, you you can see that I think there were some kind of also tendency amongst some segments of the uh, of the population, especially the youth, wanting to see change as well. So that that worked in in the United Party Boyka's favor. So. Prince Johnson, this is a fascinating point you're raising, Charles. Prince Johnson is a former warlord who had since taken a seat or won a seat in uh, in Parliament. And you say he's become a sort of a kingmaker that in 2017 he had supported Weah and that had played to Weah's favor and helped him win. But you're saying this time he had shifted alliance and aligned um, stood behind uh, former Vice President Wakai, who is now the president-elect. What is driving that change, or what drove that change at the time? It's very hard to it's, it's very hard to say. Um, uh, his the Prince Johnson party had been in in the coalition with the George Weah CDC, and it was towards the end of the of the tenure that we have we then begin to see some kind of rift within and this satisfaction about certain things that Prince Johnson was voicing that he he wanted to see more jobs to his kinsmen from Nimba, more resources uh, and things like that. But um, one could also have one can also postulate that probably George uh, Weah CDC could have then said, "Can we win Nimba?" Without Prince Johnson's support, and if 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 Prince Johnson's support is a weight on our credential for moving towards what they would like to do to see, then they made that calculation. And on hindsight, now you can see it, it was a miscalculation. In a way, I think the calculation was they could win Nimba without Prince Johnson's support. And how would they do that? They provide support to other to counter forces in Nimba. That were not within the belly in the influence of Prince Johnson, and see that those counter forces could be sufficient enough to mobilize votes for the CDC. And you can say that the CDC succeeded to some extent uh, compared to their the vote numbers they got in previous elections from Nimba in 2023. In these elections, they have more than double what their their vote number was, but it was not sufficient enough to tilt this influence towards the other side. So this is something about the legacy of the post-conflict situation that continues to play within the current democratic uh, space, I would say. It's fascinating to still know that a former warlord is playing this major role in a democratic process. It's also fascinating, and I think if you can address that a little bit, why is NEMBA so critical? NEMBA has always been critical. It's the, it's the vote numbers, uh, but also it's part of, I think, uh, you know, as we begin to study the voting patterns in Liberia, we would then see that certain patterns are emerging, but none of them are consistent. So that's, that's, that made it a very, for example, the Southeast, most of the counties in the Southeast had voted the CDC, and many are now trying to say, oh, the Southeast is a CDC stronghold. It means that maybe in future elections, others may not want to invest in an area that they feel automatically they won't get votes from. But that may not be the case because the Southeast, in previous elections, 2005, 2011, there are counties in the Southeast that voted 
the unity party. They didn't vote George Weah CDC. I think what played out uh, in this particular elections is that given it, it must be resources for unity party of their planning and calculations, their standard barrier did not visit any of the counties in the southeast for a campaign. That could play into... The, you mean the, the president? No, the president Weah did visit, but uh, uh, Joseph Yuman Buarca, who was the... Oh, Joseph Buarca did the, not. He, uh, he didn't visit that region. So that could be some of the indicators on why there. But Nimba, Nimba is, I think what I, what is clear therefore that we can say about Nimba is they, they always go where Prince Johnson have, have gone for the past, the most recent ele- elections, 2005, 2011, 2017, and now 2023. So the, 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 last, the last 17 years. But what we are seeing is we are seeing a gradual ebb into that influence, at least from what we see in these last elections. Uh, if I'm not wrong, George, we are CDC got somewhere... 20% plus votes when uh, uh, in previous elections they were, they, they were getting less than 10% of those votes. But the influence is stayed there uh, and that will be something that will will be continue to be interrogated in the democratic uh, space. Yes. But where, where, does, uh, where does Prince Johnson drive his influence from? And why did he not line behind Weir this time? Why he didn't align to Weir this time? Like I said, he uh, Prince Johnson party was part and parcel of the um, the, co- the 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 the, the, co- the judge Weir's coalition in 2017. But I think there must have been some fallout for different reasons that uh, I was mentioning. And but here's the thing: the, the key thing here is Joseph Newman Bwark have picked a vice presidential candidate from Namba. from Namba, who is the party leader of Prince Johnson's party. So in this particular case, Joseph Buarca gave much more, I think, to to that constituency than what the CDC may than what the CDC may have been offering. The other thing I want to say, twenty candidates, that's a lot. It's a large number for a small country. What's the population of Liberia today is about, what, uh, 4 million, 5 million? 5.2 million based on the most recent population census. Yeah, and 20 candidates. That's presidential candidates. Yes. I wonder how many other candidates on the uh, municipal and parliamentary level. Uh, was that a problem to have 20 candidates or was that a positive? Uh, in, in a way, it, it, uh, the fact that those candidates had possibilities to... To register to vote is in line, I think, with uh, with their rights, and I'm not too sure all of them were in it to win. In Liberia, the the, the, the configuration is such that the winner who take it all, and and I think this kind of positioning are, are, are done anticipating a potential second round because then a negotiation on on endorsement and confirming support can bring benefit to some of these smaller parties that are competing in these elections. So it is a way of trying to make sure that nobody lost per se. So when when it was announced that uh, a runoff was was important, uh, was, was 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 an outcome, all the two the top two candidates were quoting all the the candidates on the list. And that shows the importance for of each of them, whether, no matter how small their voting base was, it was important to to tip the balance in either way. And I think it's good for the democratic process. I think gradually it will consolidate, but it's important that uh, persons who have the impossibility to contest. I think on that list, we were just concerned that there were less women who had the same possibility. And that's something that Liberia is trying to, to address in terms of gender equality. Two of the, of the candidates out of the 20 were women. Provisions in 
uh, steps to reform uh, the, the electoral system to ensure greater space for women participation had not progressed as much as was seen. For example, it was conceived that through a, a legal re- reform that 30%, no, each party will have no less than 30% of women on their party listing, but that law exists in a legal limbo, never been finalized, and parties made informal commitment through an, an, a memorandum of understanding with the NEC to up hold this, but that also was largely not respected. So we are in that situation right now. President Boakai, the president-elect, let's call him president-elect, is 70 years old. In a country that is young, like most African countries, he lost in uh, 2017 and gracefully conceded to to president-elect Weyer at the time. And I think in a way, President Weyer has returned the favor by conceding this time. Can you speak a little bit of why the youth of Liberia will elect a 70-year-old when they were dealing with a candidate who was somewhat younger? George Weyer is uh, is our old, uh, 59, 60? He he must be in the mid-50s, like more or less, yeah. So, and it was very tight. I mean, obviously, the margin of victory is very small. That means there was, Weyer still had tremendous appeal in certain circles, in the, in the country. But can you dissect that a little bit? The age gap, the legacy of George Weah, and what you expect from the Wakai's presidency? Uh, in, in terms of the, you're right, uh, it was a very closely fought race. What separated the two uh, is, 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 is less than two percentage points, I would say, in, in the final count. That is uh, that is important to to, to note. It, it judge, we as CDC state does have appeal to segments, significant segments of the of the population, and they have possibilities also of kind of learning to see what they have done and they could have done better. Because definitely, is is did say that maybe not what they have done worked for the people. But I can say one thing that there were a couple of efforts that under President John Weir. There were quick fixes efforts that resonated with certain segments of the population. And those quick fixes were, you know, free university education or paying the WIAC fees for once students are leaving high school, they are required to pay a certain amount of fees. As some families, that can be difficult. Uh, we are immediately waived that fees when he took over. That was popular amongst. So there was a range of popular decisions reaching out to people in a way. And they still, it's just that they were not sustainable solutions. And, and when these solutions are not sustainable, then they impact on other consequences. That That is a that is an important lesson, I think, for... But what that means, therefore, is um, for Barca, uh, for the, the young people getting... Uh, Barca had a, a vice president who was a younger younger person, Mr. Kuhn, as, uh, Senator Kuhn is a senator from Nimba County. He, he will leave the Senate seat once he as a vice president. And you could say that he also can maybe been allowed to Waikai could have been some of the attractions for, for the youth. But we can see that with Liberia electing a 70, president, incoming President Waikai celebrated his 79th birthday uh, yesterday. It means that Liberia is in a new territory in a way that it, it may be fair to say that Buarca will be a one-time president, which means he may not be seeking re-elections for a second term, looking at his age. If that, is, if that uh, kind of guess is true, it means that he may be in a situation where he can take some of the bold decisions that 
the previous presidents who had considerations for re-elections based on political considerations were not able to take. And that could be good news for Liberia. And what also good would mean is that very soon Liberia will see another democratic transition to another elected president. That would be good also for consolidating the democracy. Those are the ways I see this development. What is the mood in the country today? The mood is very hopeful. I think the Wayne uh, have inspired hope. The per- people feel that their vote count, that the leaders can uh, can respect the people's will, and uh, that t- uh, to tell you, there has been a lot of analysis among different actors that there could have been instability based on a protracted conflict over the elections. This can have an effect on economic development and things like that. But those did not happen. And now Liberia is faced with and watching the picture of the former, the, 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 the outgoing president and the incoming president working together on a joint transition team. That particular picture has inspired Liberia. It has inspired a lot of voices across the African continent as well, that where we are seeing um, democratic rollback just in our not-too-far neighborhood, we are now seeing Liberia that have had this difficulty showing that it is able to, to transition to full democratic rule. On that hopeful note, Charles Lawrence, I would like to thank you for joining us on Into Africa today and dissecting the current situation in your country, Liberia. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. We want to have more conversations about Africa. Tell your friends. Subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts. You can also read our analysis and report at csis.org slash Africa. So long. So long.